Talk Recorded live. We want to welcome you to the worship services of the Homerville Church of Christ. We're sorry we had to take the week off last week. We met, but our recording wasn't working. And so we are back online. Glad you stopped in. Hope you're having a good holiday weekend. And we are going to be starting our worship service in just a minute.
Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thanking you so much for the opportunity we have to be here today. We thank you, Lord, for the church here at Hornerville, and we thank you, Lord, for each and every member that's represented here today, along with our visitors. We pray, Lord, that as we worship you today, that the things that we do will be in accordance with thy will, that it be pleasing and acceptable to you. Heavenly Father, we Thank you for the Bible that you have blessed us with, and we pray to you for anything that you bring as part of your work today. And you will have a ready recollection of those things that you have prepared. We can present to us in a way that we can take it to our heart and mind and keep with us. Use the strength, Lord, that we can resist the, the things of this world that will pull us away from you. And we will be strong and good examples for those that we are around each day. And we will be able to bring others to the truth and knowledge of the gospel. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will be with those that are sick, those that are in need of your care at this time, for those that are in hospitals and nursing homes that are suffering, Lord, we pray that you will be the care they need and pray that we can do our part for those that we know and have an opportunity to help, that we can help them in any way possible. Pray that you be with the families that are, are caring for those that are sick, that they will have the strength to their gifts and can help in any way they Heavenly Father, we thank you for the elders that we have here to serve those that are spiritually strengthening us and, and to help guide us in the proper direction. Lord, we pray that you will be with them in the decisions they make, that you will help them, that they, they will always be on the lookout for the things that would bring harm to this church, that they would be able to Spot them and stop the Lord, and that you will also help them and guide us in proper direction. Heavenly Father, we pray for the strength of this congregation, that you will help us to be a shining light in this community, that we will be the congregation that you will have us to be. We pray for congregations throughout this area, Lord, that, that the gospel is preached this morning. You will give them strength also. Heavenly Father, we're mindful of our military, the men and women that are struggling in service, and we pray that you will be with them, that you will keep them in your care, that they can accomplish the missions that they have, that they can bring peace into the area they are in, that the gospel will have free course throughout this world. We pray to the missionaries that are bringing that word into these areas, and that they can help to spread the gospel throughout this world. Right now, as we go on into this service, and all things we do, we pray for your side. We thank you for your son Jesus, for his death, prayer, and resurrection, and what it means to us as the followers of Jesus. We saw the
On the first day of the week, we're commanded to partake of the Lord's Supper. We read about this in Matthew chapter 26, and starting in verse 26, it says, As they're eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the cup, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many unto remission of sins. But I say it to you, I shall not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the until the until that day when I drink anew with you in my father's kingdom. This time I say a prayer for prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and the many things you blessed us with in life, Lord, and most of all we thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. Now as we partake of the bread which represents the shed body on the cross for our sins, take of it in Mary's Lucian and Christ in prayer, Amen.
Fruit of the vine represents Jesus' shed blood at this time. I'm going to say a prayer for the fruit of the vine. Andrew, Lord, we'd like to thank you for sending your son to for our sins, and now that we've taken the fruit of the vine, which represents Christ's shed blood and cross for our sins, we'll take it to the next season and practically pray for it. We now come to a separate portion of our service, which is giving, and we read where we are commanded to give, give back unto the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 1, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints that I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so also do ye, upon the first day of the week, let each one of you lay by him in store, as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. Now at this time, I'm going to say a prayer for <coughs> Dear Lord, thank you for providing us a way to earn a living. And now as we give back a portion of that which you blessed us with, that we give a portion of the wealth to and practically pray for <laughs>
So go ahead and mark your books to number 226. Number 226, that'll be the song first. Found that for number 662. Years I spent in therapy and Ada and I 
celebrating our anniversary and enjoying that time together. Appreciate all of you uh, for allowing that, uh, the elders for allowing that, and for, for those of you who filled in for me, I appreciate that. Uh, before we get too far into things, if you need a copy of the chart to fill in for you, Mitchell is going to bring those around. If you'll let him know, he'll be glad to give you one as long as they hold out. And if they don't hold out, we'll probably make a few copies and, and get you one anyway. But it's good to be back. I miss being able to be with you when I'm gone. Love to be able to take you with me and uh, you can enjoy some of the uh, opportunities of, of seeing the different places um, when I'm able to, where I'm able to go, uh, whether it be to Panama or other opportunities. Normally it would have been the lectureship, and if you were not able to listen during the week to the lectures, you can still go to the School of Preaching, the Memphis School of Preaching's website, and you can access those either through there, you can actually look them up on YouTube, and you can go back and listen to them from the course of the week. It was what I was able to hear during the day. Ada went to work, so I had time to work and listen and but I was able to somewhat go to the lectureship from Panama, so that worked out kind of nicely. And I actually got to hear Derek. Uh, some of you remember Derek Coble. He spoke this year. And I uh, didn't get to hear Wayne, but he spoke, and several others. And I would encourage you to check that out. Uh, Daddy came back and said, aside from the lectureship that they did on prayer back, I think, in the 80s, this is probably the best one he'd ever been to. And so I'd encourage you to check that out. If you need more information on that, I'll do what I can to help you. Today is a day that's been set aside by our world to uh, remember the resurrection of Jesus. We can get into the historicity of things and, and all of those things. Um, thankfully, Brother Andrew did a pretty good job during the gospel meeting not too long ago, and I'll refer you back to his uh, sermon uh, during the week, and I don't remember which night it was, but he did a sermon on the historicity of Jesus. And, and showed from external, that is, from evidence outside of the Bible, from, from secular history, how we can see that Jesus really was a, a real person, and then when you tie that together with what the Bible says, that he is, or was and is, who he claimed to be. So I'll refer you back to him and for that sermon for that. It'll be somewhere in the... Uh, I, don't, I actually don't remember the numbers, but you can go back to our Facebook page. You can go look that up, and I can also help with that later. But he, he, he dealt very well with that, showing that Jesus really was a, a real person who walked the face of this earth, and the things that we read about in the Bible then are accurate from secular and from uh, biblical evidence. But moving on from that, we want to consider some things about Jesus about Jesus and his death, but more specifically about his tomb. You'll recall from your previous studies of, of the New Testament and, and about the crucifixion of Jesus, how that he died on the cross, one of the most excruciating and painful deaths man has ever inflicted on another man. And you can go back and you can do some more research. We've talked about it before, the various things that Jesus endured leading up to the cross and how that the Romans were professionals in inflicting pain without inflicting death until the very last possible moment. They would draw out every bit of pain that they could along the way. They would beat him, as, as we read about in the scriptures, to the point where you could be able, according to historical records, you could be able to see the, the very ribs and shoulder blades of the individual being beaten. 
And the bloody mess and the, 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 the sea of blood would fall. Brother B.P. Black described it as, as being able to see white caps, the white caps of his shoulder blades in the sea of blood. To be able to see the lungs as they expanded through the rib cage because of the work that the one doing the beating had done. But then he endured the night's trial previous to that for the Jews. He endured the trial there with the Romans and then finally the beating and then carried it across part of the way to Calvary. Then upon reaching the cross, he would be nailed to the cross, likely there in the, the, that little, you can feel it, there's a little hole right there in your wrist. That's the most secure place really in your hands to do this kind of thing. And if you've ever had problems with carpal tunnel syndrome, and you may have had to wear a brace, you may have even had to have surgery. I think this may have had to have the surgery. But you know how painful those nerves in that area can be. And just think of having a nail driven right through all of those nerve endings or those nerves that go into your hand. And having those two places be one of the three places that would support the, the weight of your body on the cross. By the way, they wouldn't have sanded it. They would, it would have just been a rough cut piece of timber. And you know how nice it is to just rub your hand across something like that. But imagine a, a, an open wound of the, such as Jesus would have had on his back being placed against such a piece of wood. And then to have that, that piece of wood lifted up with him on it, up to be set down on the cross. Had his feet nailed similarly to his hands. Every time he would pull up to breathe putting pressure on those, those nerves once again, rubbing his back against that wooden timber, breathing as he could, exhaling as he could, lifting up so he could exhale so he couldn't do it any longer. Bugs, the sweat, everybody looking on. All the shame, all the pain, all of the misery inflicted upon our Savior. Soldiers come by to, to break the legs of the prisoners, of the, the, the ones being executed. They come to Jesus and they realize he's already dead. But just to be sure, they take the spear and pierce his side, and, they, they, and out came blood and water, the text tells us. Then Nicodemus and others come and they take his body. Joseph of Arimathea. They take his body, they prepare it hastily for burial. And put it in Joseph's tomb. And three days later, I come to finish the burial. You can read Matthew's account and the other accounts and bring these things together. They come to finish what they started. But when they arrive, they find that the, the, the stone has been moved, the tomb is empty, and they're told, the one you're looking for, he's not here. There's some who said, well, maybe someone stole the body, and there's a few ideas as to who might have stolen the body of Jesus to make it look as though what he said would happen actually took place, even though it did not. The first idea that sometimes is put forth is that the, uh, the gardener, the one who would keep that area around the tomb, may have stolen the body. But you remember that the Jews had, had insisted that it be sealed, the tomb be sealed, and that it be guarded. And the Roman guards would not have let a gardener overpower them. They knew they were good at what they were doing. That doesn't work. 
The other idea, another idea is that the enemies of Jesus may have taken but we know this could not have been the case because when the when the Jewish leaders hear about it, they actually bribed the soldiers to say we fell asleep and we'll, we'll take care of the your your superiors so you don't get in trouble for this. But in addition to that, when the apostles and the other others who were followers of Christ began to go preaching and teaching the gospel, if you were an enemy of the Lord and you had his body in your possession and these people are preaching, he arose from the grave, he's ascended into heaven. You can bring out the body and say, no, we didn't hear the dead speaking body. You need to shut up. You're thinking lies. Never happened. Others have said maybe the, the, the disciples, maybe the apostles took the body. But as they, as they went about preaching, you remember the persecution that they faced. Now, who in their right mind would continue to teach a message that results in the, the beating, arrest, the persecution, and death that took place. You can go back and look up, up this in history. All the things that were done to the Christians. Certainly, if you had the body, you would say, stop, please stop. I'll stop telling this story. Here's the body. It didn't happen. But they boldly proclaimed the risen Savior. And so today, the world has set aside this day to remember Jesus' resurrection. Scripturally, as Brother Andrew pointed out, we've been authorized to and commanded, in fact, to remember the Lord's death. And the example we have from Acts 26 and 7 is that the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread to partake the Lord's Supper. And so we do that every week. And we remember the Lord's death. We remember his burial, his resurrection, the, the salvation we have through what is known as the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection each week. Precious memory and memorial. But this morning, we want to turn our attention to the tomb and consider some things that the empty tomb should tell us. And as you and I focus our attention in your mind's eye, you may have seen pictures of, of historically accurate depictions of what his tomb would have looked like or what it may have been. Some people say this is, you know, they, they I have some ideas, maybe this could have been the tomb. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But you know what a tomb of that day, that time period would have looked like. Think back on your, in your mental picture of what it would have been like to have approached that tomb that morning after, as Jesus had risen from the dead. And as you think about that, I want you to consider the things that that empty tomb should tell you and should tell me in the first place. It tells us that God's word is true. It tells us that God's word is true. John chapter 2, Jesus speaking. John chapter 2, verses... 19 through 21. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple in three days, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Here Jesus tells them the sign. They didn't catch it. They didn't understand it. And they, they, they were so focused on the physical that they didn't understand what he was talking about. And in fact, later on in his, his trial, there will be people who are brought in as false accusers. They had nothing to accuse him of, but they would come and their testimony wouldn't agree. And then finally someone comes in and he says, he said he would destroy the temple or the, the, the temple would be destroyed and he'd build it back in three days. And they took this 
accusation, tying it to the physical structure of the temple, and use that as a charge to bring against our Lord. Jesus said, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and in three days, he'll be back again. Jesus, speaking as the Son of God, we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute, gave his word, and it was fulfilled. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 helps us to see that that confirms his identity. But as we think about this, I want you to just think about the fact that, that his fulfilling that actually shows God's word to be true. He made a claim. Remember back in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says that if a prophet prophesies and the thing doesn't come to pass, he speaks presumptuously. That is, he's speaking on his own behalf and not on behalf of God. Don't be afraid of it. But if what he says comes to pass, he is a prophet, a true prophet of God. Jesus, as a prophet, comes and says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to destroy the bo- the, my body, the temple, in three days. And, or, and in three days, it will be resurrected. Jesus was a true prophet. His word came to pass. He was speaking the truth. God's word is true. First Peter chapter twenty verses twenty. First Peter one rather, verses twenty and twenty one. As Peter writes concerning the salvation that we have, notice notice his description of the gospel. First Peter one twenty and twenty one. Who verily that is Christ, the Lamb without blemish, without spot. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Now looking back on the cross, looking back on the tomb of Jesus in that God raised him from the dead, Peter looks back to that and says, you've seen him. Some of them may have even been able to to listen to Jesus preaching. They may have been witnesses of the the cross and and Jesus' death. And then because of persecution or, or what, whatever the case may have been, they, they traveled back to their homeland, away from Jerusalem. But he says he was manifest in his last times for you. Notice, by the power of God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Looking back on that, Peter uses that as a, an emphasis of, of the gospel. But knowing that that tomb was empty, we, we have this confirmed to us that we can, we can trust in what we're reading here about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but not only about those things, but about the other things that God tells us about. So that as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's possible for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, Really furnished unto every good work, or all good works. As we think about that, we can trust God's word. And the empty tomb tells us that because Jesus said it would be, and it was. God keeps his word. Titus 1 verse 2 tells us that God cannot lie. And the tomb emphasizes that to us and speaks to us as we see the empty tomb that God's word is true. But not only that, it also helps us to see and tells us that God wants all to be saved. God wants all to be saved. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, as Paul is, help, is going through discussion, a discussion on justification by faith, he continues in, in the, this thought, Romans 6, verses 3 through 6, 
Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, and that, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Here he takes the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The thing for which we, uh, we gather every Lord's Day to, to remember and celebrate, but the thing that, that is being considered throughout the world today, the resurrection of Christ. He brings these three things to the forefront of our mind. And he, he, he reminds us of Jesus' death, and he says for us, we too have to die. We have to die to sin. The man of sin cannot continue to live any longer if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. But not only that, he has to be buried. We have to be buried in a watery grave, the watery grave of baptism. And then to arise, just as he did, having had our sins washed away into a new life. When he was resurrected, he, he came back from the dead to never die again. We come back from the dead in that state of sinlessness because of his blood that washes away our sins. It was shed in his death, John 19, 34. And it's in his death, when we meet him in his death, according to Romans 6, 3, and 4 here that we just read, that we contact that blood and we're able to arise and walk in a new life, a life that is free from sin. God made that possible through the gospel. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says that, that Jesus tasted death for every man. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise that some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is it that Jesus died on the cross? Some would say it's so that God could save the elect. Now, that's a biblical thing to say, but they're not saying it in biblical manner. They're not meaning it the way the Bible teaches it. Because what they're meaning by that is that God, before he created the world, decided... This person would be saved, that person would be saved, that person would be saved, and that person would be saved, and so forth, choosing arbitrarily those who would be saved and those who would be lost. And Jesus died for those who are already saved and not for those who are lost. But the Bible teaches that he died so that no one would have to be lost. He died for the elect, but who are the elect? The elect are those who have chosen to obey God. God chose to save those who will obey him. And those who choose to obey him are the ones who are saved. And so we don't have to worry and wait for the Lord to give us a sign or some indication that we've already been saved and then obey the gospel. But rather, we simply obey the gospel through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. Our sins are washed away. The Lord adds us to his church, and we, continue, we begin this new life with him through obedience to the gospel. But he wants all to be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, Paul, writing to Timothy, speaks of this specifically. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Paul writes, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. There is no reason anyone should die lost. 
There's no reason that anyone should go to hell because Jesus died for all. And if you and I will will follow in his footsteps, we'll be obedient to him and submit to his will, we can be saved because the tomb is empty. Because he died for us. But he also lives for us and serves as our mediator and our high priest before God. And so if you've not obeyed the gospel, you're missing out on this opportunity that God has provided for you through gospel obedience. And by doing that, you can be saved because God wants all to be saved. And as you look at the tomb, if you've not obeyed the gospel, please keep in mind that that tomb is empty for you and for me because God wants all to be saved. In the next place, we find that the tomb, the empty tomb, should tell us that Jesus is the Son of God. Some would, some got upset at Jesus because of this. And they, 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 um, he spoke of, of his father and the work that his father had done. And, and the text tells us there in the book of John that they became upset. I believe it's John chapter 5. Um, but the text tells us they got upset because he made himself equal with God, claiming to be his son. And notice Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Romans 1 and verse 4, going back to the empty tomb, says, and well, go back to verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, there is a resurrection for everybody, but our resurrection doesn't, speak, doesn't say Jesus is the Son of God. But the fact that when these ladies and, and those who had been to the tomb or, or who arrived at the tomb saw an empty tomb where Jesus had been buried, his resurrection speaks to the power of God indicating that he is the son of God, the son of David. And if you go back to the, to the genealogical records in Matthew and in Luke and see, you can trace his lineage all the way to David. So he's in the right family to be the son of God, the one who was prophesied but also by the power of his by the, the power of God exhibited in his resurrection in the resurrection of Jesus Jesus is declared to be the son of God that tells us some things about him because as we think about his his life and the prophecies concerning his life in Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 25 the angel told Joseph in verse 21 she shall bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth the son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. The angel said, Your, your, your wife, don't, don't be afraid to take her. She is not committed an indiscretion, but rather that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. He is the one for whom you and all of your people and really all of the world have been waiting. The one who will save his people from their sins, the Son of God. In John chapter 1, John writing towards the, uh, to cover the latter part of Jesus' life, just a few days actually. But in John chapter 1, speaking of the, the Word, the second person of the Godhead, Godhead, or as we know him, and they're talking about him today, Jesus, beginning in verse 1, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was the was life, and the life was the light of men. He was from the beginning, is from the beginning. He was not a created being. He is God. Notice there in verse verse one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He is God. But go on over to verse 14, it says that the word, God, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He, the word, became flesh. God became flesh. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And that's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around when you start just thinking about that a little bit. But God has it worked out. It was entirely and is entirely possible for this to take place. God has it under control. But we've got to keep in mind, we may not understand how that works, but we've got to keep in mind that it did, and it is true. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. He was not some vision. He was not some mystical apparition. He was a 100% flesh and blood man. He had the same pains. He had the same desires that you and I have. He was a man, but he was also God. Keep on going. Verse 29, then the next day, the next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but, he, but that he should, make, uh, should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but, he, but that he had sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. As you and I think about the tomb and see it through our mind's eye, knowing that our Lord was buried there, that he's arisen. That tomb speaks to us and tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. Certainly there is great reason to rejoice because the tomb is empty, but especially because of who was in the tomb and, and now that it is empty. The Son of God died on the cross for our sins, but he arose from the grave by the power of God, which is evident to us that he is the Son of God, that, that God wants all to be saved because he did that for us, and God's word is true. The tomb should speak to us. But not only should it tell us these things, but it also should tell us that Jesus is the only way to God. That Jesus is the only way to God. Keeping in mind what he did for us, let's notice Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans 8 and verse 29, if you look back at verse 28, it's the verse that frequently, I believe, is misapplied that speaks of the things of this life, when in fact he's talking about the things that God has done for our salvation. And if you keep it in context, that makes good sense. And he continues to say, verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The firstborn among many brethren. Why did Jesus come into the world? There are various perspectives on that answer that you could give. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to die on the cross as Christ for our sins. But if you think about that here, 
We're told that he came to make it so that you and I could be like he is. That we could conform, be conformed to the image of God's Son. That Jesus could be the firstborn among many brethren. How is it that we conform to the image of his Son? Is it not for obedience to the gospel? Does the gospel not depend completely upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? When you and I look back at that tomb in our mind's eye, we find that there was one who was sent from God who lived on this earth of earth a perfect life. He died on the cross, he was buried, he rose from the grave, and it's through him, according to John 14 and verse 6, that we have access to the Father. There is no other way except through Jesus. And to try to find some other way is to leave the only way and the only hope that you and I have. He made it possible to, for us to conform to his image through obedience to the gospel, thereby giving us access to the Father. He said there, John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Friends, if we found a way to be saved, and people are looking for ways, you look across the globe. Mankind wants to figure out a way to do, do away with the problem of shame and guilt associated with sin. We're looking, and God says, here's the way. To try it any other way is to fail miserably. In fact, in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, Paul says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ under another gospel, which is not another, because it is not, not the kind of another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, teach any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be a curse as we said before. So say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be a curse. Friends, if you find someone telling you that this is what you must be, do to be saved and you cannot find it within the pages of the New Testament, you need to tell that person, I can't listen to what you're saying. What you're saying is not biblical. And it's going to cause me to lose my soul in hell if I do it. And if you keep teaching it, you're going to lose your soul. Let's sit down and see what God says about this topic. Unless it comes from the Scripture, Jesus is the only way to God. Another thing that an empty tomb ought to tell us is that his will, Christ's will, God's will must be obeyed. Hebrews chapter 5 takes our mind back to the, the, the moments there in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus was praying for his life to be spared, that the cup would pass from him. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared, though we were his son, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obeyed him. Having followed the will of the Father, he prayed, May this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Having been perfectly obedient to the commandments of God throughout his entire life, which led him to the cross, Jesus became the author, the originator of our salvation. If you want it, you've got to go through him. If you want it, notice it said he's the author of eternal salvation to all them that obeyed him. 
Now, you know what it means to obey. Those of you who are parents certainly know what it means to obey because sometimes you have to tell your children, you did not obey me. At school, sometimes the kids will say, but I did what you said. No, you didn't. If you're going to obey, you've got to do what is told, the way it's told, when it's told, without asking questions, without trying to figure out a better way. You just do what you're told to do the way and, and time that you're told to do it. That's obedience. It's not obedience for me to say, Lord, I hear what you're saying, but I'd like to try it this way. That's not obedience. That's rebellion. If you want salvation, you've got to do it his way. Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, that's one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We must obey him, and the tomb says so, because when we go to the tomb, we find that he prayed. If there's any other way, let it be done. The answer that was given is there is no other way. This is the way. And he made the way by, by, by being obedient to the Father, by dying on the cross, and for us to try to go any other way, the Hebrews writer says, is to try to underfoot the Son of Man. That is, to walk over him and say, that's not good enough, I'm waiting for something better. We must obey, and the empty tomb tells us this. Finally, the empty tomb tells us that we must obey the gospel for salvation. Have you ever thought, we talked about it before, so you probably have at least for a little bit. Have you ever considered, though, that God does not do things that are not necessary? Sometimes in talking about evolution, people will say that, that he could have made it eons and eons of time each day. That way, evolution and the Bible can work together. But God does not do things unnecessarily. What would have been required for him to have done that creation that way? He would have had to provide life and, and nutrients and all the things that the plants would have needed until... Pollinating, the pollinators were created until they could come back to daylight. Doesn't make sense. God does not do things unnecessarily. And that tells me, and I ought to tell you, that the Lord would not have had to die on the cross if there was another way. Why would you, as a as a parent, thinking about it from the mindset of a parent? If there was some way that you could save your child's life, why would you choose to do something that you know will require great pain, agony, suffering, and death when there's another way? doesn't make sense. The gospel has been given to us as the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. As Paul writes to the Corinthian Christians, he tells them, that you were saved by obedience to the gospel. You're able to stand because you're being faithful to the gospel. Unless you believe in vain, that is, unless you, you believe a lie, in which case you've not been saved, you're not standing spiritually, and you're lost. The gospel was given to us because that's the way we're saved. Now notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, speaking of those who have been persecuted, he says, seeing it's a righteous thing with God, verse 6, to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Those who do not obey the gospel, based on what the scriptures say, will be lost, will be punished in flaming fire, will be punished by being separated from God throughout eternity. But not only those who don't obey, but also those who are not faithful, those who turn away from the gospel, those who turn away from the Lord's way, those who do not walk according to the, the pattern that God has given us through the New Testament will face this same destruction, this same punishment. Friends, the empty tomb tells us that we must obey the gospel for salvation. The gospel plan, God's plan for saving us required Jesus to go to the cross. And as we see the tomb from which he came, our mind's eye, that tomb says, Andrew, congregation, world, you've got to obey the gospel. Faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. Have your sins washed away to be added to the church in order to be saved. There is no other way. The empty tomb speaks to us, and today folks are thinking about that. My cousin, I'm not not trying to make light of the situation, but my cousin, just to show you how much people focus in on the resurrection of Christ this time, they're um, they're bent in their house has got clogged up and their garbage disposal drain all wasn't working, so they were up on the roof. It was actually Easter Sunday morning, about six o'clock in the morning, and their neighbor had, had the crucifixion scene out there and then had put Jesus in the tomb and buried him. And at six o'clock that morning, she came out and she moved the stone and pulled him out. The decoration there in the yard. People are thinking about the resurrection today. People are thinking about the love of God today, the sacrifice of Christ, and all that's encompassed in that, the salvation that we have, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Folks are thinking about it today. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, yes, I do. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross so I can have the forgiveness of my sins. And you can't find his bones anywhere on this earth because the tomb's empty. But are you hearing what that tomb says? Because the same people that, that, that are saying that, that are, are focused on it today don't always believe God's word is true. Some of those same people that will, will wish you a happy Easter will also say, well, I don't really agree with that passage of Scripture. Some of the same people say that, you know, Jesus died on the cross and how great it is. But I don't know that everybody, you know, that only the elect can be saved. Some don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Some don't believe he's the only way to God. They believe all ways that are out there lead to the same place. And we're just going our various different ways. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I am the way. But today, everybody says, happy Easter. Aren't you glad that the Lord rose for us? 
are we listening to the empty tomb? Some don't believe his will must be obeyed. They'll say, well, I hear what you're saying, and maybe one day I'll do that, but, you know, the Lord's going to save everybody anyway. Some people say, I don't have to do that. That's your plan of salvation. That's what your church teaches. Friends, if it's found in the pages of the New Testament, it's not for one particular group. It's for the world because God wants all men to be saved. It requires Jesus to go to the cross, and it requires us to go to the cross with Jesus through obedience to the gospel. Peter says, the like figure we're unto even baptism is also now save us. Not the putting away the flesh, but the answer to good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It adds it to his church. Where we have to walk in his ways, not our ways, not somebody's good ideas, but his ways. So to think about this this morning, the question is, are you listening? Am I listening to what the interesting tells us? If you find in your life today that you've not obeyed the gospel as we've talked about in the pages of the New Testament today, you say, Andrew, I don't agree with you what you're teaching about the plan of salvation. Before you leave this building, I hope to talk to me about it. Because if I'm not teaching what this book says, then I'm a false teacher and I'm, I'm teaching you how to go to hell and I'm on the way myself. But if we find in the pages of Scripture that what I'm teaching about the plan of salvation is truth, then you and I are subject to it. If you find in your life that there are things that are amiss in your life as one who's obeyed the gospel, but you've not been faithful, are you listening to the king? Are you listening to what the Lord did for you? If you find that you can make things right, I plead with you. The Lord pleads with you. Repent. Turn back from your way to his way. Determine in your mind, I'm going to follow this book no matter where it leads me. And one day it's going to lead me home to heaven. We can help you with that. We want to. Because the Lord died on the cross. He was buried. But it's empty. It's empty for you. It's empty for me because he reigns in heaven over his kingdom and church. He serves as our mediator, pleading our case before the throne of God. He wants to help you and he wants to help me. But we've got to go through him through obedience. We can help you. Please come to the same
Thank you, Brother Andrew, for the lesson this morning. Appreciate that. And I want to say this morning, before you came in, we're glad that you're back. We're glad you had a safe trip. Maybe uh, made a big here for too much longer. Is there any other announcements that need to be made? I didn't mean to mention, at the end of the month, I'm going to be preaching in Waycross for their gospel meeting, and I'm going to go over, planning on going over a couple of days before the meeting, um, just kind of when I have opportunity to do some door knocking with Andrew, and probably during the week we're going to do some more door, door knocking as well. If you're interested in that and helping out with that, if you'll let me know, I'll keep you in, in the loop on when that's going to happen. Okay. Also, this on this flyer about that. Uh, there's a gospel meeting in Sylvester, Church of Christ, this week, starting today through the 8th, with Brother Keith Moody. They had they had to change the speech of Brother Moody having some kind of a procedure or something, so they had to get somebody else. I'm not sure who it is, but the meeting still going on. Yes.